Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Word. If you would be so kind as to follow me if you are listening and to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you're watching. And with either, please like, comment, and most of all, share. I, Dan Riley, your humble host, will be eternally grateful. I said on several previous podcasts, and in my opinion, Jim Rohn is one of the most effective public speakers of the last 50 years. I was going to say here in America, but that wouldn't be true. He has legions of fans on every continent in the planet. In a minute, I'm going to play a six-minute clip of Rome from one of his seminars. When it's over, I'll point out some of those behaviors and characteristics that make him such a fantastic speaker. But first, for those that are not familiar with Jim Rohn, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was the only child of a minister father and homemaker mother. He was born in 1930 and died in 2009. He was raised on a farm in southwest Idaho. Jim Rohn left college after one year, married and had two children in his early 20s. At age 25, while working for Sears Roebuck, he met his mentor, Earl Shove, who at the time was a successful network marketer selling nutritional products. Rohn quit Sears and went to work for Shove. After six years of working for Shove and being mentored by him, Roan became a millionaire in his early 30s. He then moved his family to Beverly Hills, California. It was there at the request of a neighbor when and where his speaking career was launched. He was asked to speak at his neighbor's Rotary Club, and of course, he said yes and did. He titled the speech, Farm Boy Makes It to Beverly Hills. That was in 1963. From that day forward, Roan went on to give seminars and keynote speeches all over the planet for the next 45 years. His last speech was less than a year before he died. Okay, let's listen to the legendary Emmanuel James Roan. I'm going to I'm going to say nothing until the clip is over. He's too good to interrupt. Let me give you the day that turns your life around as quickly as I can. I got four parts to the day that turns your life around, and then we're finished for the day. Number one, disgust. Disgust. Disgust is a negative emotion, but it can have a very positive, powerful effect. Disgust says, I've had it. What an important day that could be. I've had it. Wow. I met a beautiful, powerful, accomplished executive lady in New York. The company invited me to come in. This lady was a vice president, extraordinary lady. I got to know her and I found out her story. I said, how did you get here? Big income. And she never went to high school, never went to college, never went to university. I said, how did you get here? Executive, powerful, income. She said, well, let me tell you part of the scenario. She said, when I was a young mother a few years ago, she said, one day I asked my husband for $10. And he said, what for? She said, before that day was over, I decided I would never, ever ask. She said, I started studying opportunity, found it, took the classes, put myself through the schools, did the scenario. Now I'm vice president. I make a lot of money. 
And she said, I kept my promise. I've never, ever had to ask again. It's called a life-changing day. The day you say enough is enough. Now, if you can add an act to your disgust, it helps. A man takes a shotgun to his car, blows out every window, destroys every tire, puts 100 rounds in it, and says, I've driven this embarrassing thing for the last time. <laughs> and then he saves it. He saves it. And later when somebody says, how did you become rich and powerful? He says, let me show you this car. <laughs> One day I'd had it up to here, I blew it to smithereens. Enough is enough. Powerful. Here's the last three. Next is decision. Decision making is a life-changing day. If you went home today and in the next few days cleaned up a list of decisions, it could furnish enough inspiration for the next five years, ten years. What an inspiring day, the day you can bring yourself to decide. And here's the third one. Desire, wanting too bad enough. Who knows the mystery of that? We don't know. But here's something I do know. Sometimes desire waits for a trigger, waits for something to happen. Who knows what the happening may be? A song, the lyrics, a movie, the dialogue, a seminar, a sermon, a book, an experience, confrontation with an enemy, a conversation with a friend who finally levels with you. Whatever the experience it is, it's so valuable. And here's my best advice. Welcome all experiences. You never know which one is going to turn everything on. Don't put up the walls. The same wall that keeps out disappointment keeps out happiness. Take down the walls. Go for the experience. Let it teach you. And here's the last one. Resolve. Resolve says I will. Two of the most powerful words in the language. Benjamin Disraeli said, nothing can resist a human will that will stake its existence on its purpose. Shortly put, I'll do it or die. Best definition of resolve I got from a little junior high girl, Foster City, California. I'm going through some words one day. I got to this one and I asked the kids, who can tell me what resolve means? Some didn't know, some tried. Interesting. The last one was the best. Little girl about three rows back, she said, I think I know Mr. Owen. I said, what? She said, I think resolve means promising yourself you will never give up. I said, that's the best I've ever heard. She's probably giving seminars somewhere today, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> best I've heard. I asked the kids, how long should a baby try to learn how to walk? How long would you give your average baby? Before you say, hey, enough, enough, no. Any mother in the world would say, you're crazy. My baby is going to keep trying what? Until. What a magic word. I want you to write it down. Until. Promise yourself you'll read the books until your skills change. You'll go to seminars until you get a handle on it. You'll listen to it until it makes sense. You'll go for it until you understand it. You'll practice it until you develop the skill. Never give up until. However long that is, step by step, piece by piece, book by book, word by word, apple by apple, walk around the block, walk around the block, go for it. Don't miss the chance to grow. 
and resolve that you'll pay the price until you learn, change, grow, become. Then you'll discover some of life's best treasures when you pay that price. One of the first and best lessons we can learn from Roan is that he is uniquely himself. He's not trying to be anyone else. He's not even attempting to hide or correct any of his quirkiness. Dime! He says that word dime weird all the time. And he never tries to, to correct it or say it normally, I guess. How about his facial expressions? As you can see in the video, if you are listening on a podcast, I provide the link to this video in the description if you care to see it. His facial expressions, they can be a bit quirky. And when his gesture and we gestures with his hands, they look like claws. And he's never tried, never changed any of these things for 45 years that he's given speeches. And I hope you noticed how conversational his style is. He wasn't trying to affect or adopt any of those characteristics characteristics usually associated with famous or cel or more celebrated public speakers. He's attempting nothing Churchillian, and he doesn't need to. So the first lesson we can learn from Jim Rohn is how important it is to be authentic, for you to be you and only you and more of you. When I give instructions on speech making or analyze speeches, I break the analysis into two categories, speech mechanics and speech context. Mechanics include all the methods used to deliver the words. Content is the words themselves. Let's first look at some of the prominent speech mechanics of Mr. Jim Rohn. Of all the speakers I'm aware of, Jim Rohn uses vocal variety the best. He does a lot more than say time. Weirdly, he changes his volume. In the clip we just saw, he just about screams, a man takes a shotgun to his car. His pitch, his tone, his pace, they all vary depending on what he's saying. For a few seconds, he can be speaking at 75 words per minute. Then a few seconds later, he can be speaking at 350 words per minute. He's also a master at the pause. Sometimes it's the standard three seconds. Other times, he can go as long as 10 seconds for a maximum effect. And he doesn't ruin the pause with any filler words like, like, you know, I mean, or any other disfluencies such as ums and ahs. How about his facial expressions? In that six-minute clip, you saw many smiles, but all a bit different. On the smile continuum, from a polite smile to a burst of laughter. He's a master at communicating with his eyes as well. When he's not looking directly into the, eye, uh, the eyes of the audience members, he is augmenting his point with his eyes. And if the point he is making warrants it, he can adopt a stern look as well. When he gestures with his hands, did you notice his hand was in a claw formation? I'm sure a drama coach would have liked to change that, but it works for him. And in all the years he's been in public life, he has never changed that hand formation. Well, those are a few of the mechanics he uses so that his words land with maximum impact. Now let's look at the words themselves. Here are some of the rhetorical devices he uses. At the beginning of the clip, he uses his signature rhetorical device, repetition. I've had it. I've had it. <laughs> he actually uses repetition all throughout the clip, and all of the speeches for that matter. How about his ability to create visual images in the minds of the audience? Who didn't have a picture in their mind or some semblance of a man they knew shooting up an old jalopy? 
you'll find alliterations throughout the entire clip. In fact, the first three things that turn your life around is an alliteration. Disgust, decision, and desire. Enough is enough. You heard that a few times. You'll find he likes to use antithesis in many of his speeches. The same wall that keeps out disappointment keeps out happiness. He employs rhetorical questions. How long should you give your average baby to learn how to walk? Another signature signature rhetorical device he uses is called anaphora. This is when the same word or words are used in successive sentences. Until. You'll You'll need to read the books until you learn it. You'll need to go to the seminars until you get a handle on it. You'll need to practice it until you get the skills. And like all great speakers, his speeches are loaded with stories, but they are hardly recognized as stories. In that clip, you heard the story of a wife who was so incensed with her husband's reaction to her asking for $10 that she became an executive. You also learned of a junior high student that produced the best definition of resolve that he had ever heard. Stories are most effective when they are woven in, not announced ahead of time. Let me tell you a story, or once upon a time. No, no, they are best when woven in conversationally. My last point on Jim Rohn is this. Because he can be so entertaining and inspirational, people often overlook how skilled he is at the constituent parts that make for a great speaker. If there's any other speaker you would like me to analyze, please leave your suggestion in the comment section. As for today and my part, that's all there is. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. If you're listening, please follow me on your podcasting hosting site. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, and comment. I'm in dire need of their algorithms to shed their grace on me. And until next time, throw off the bowl lines, sail away from the sea, and catch the trade in your sea. We're on the move now.